Well, if you want to open your Bibles to John, start in chapter 2 and move around a little bit, but... thought it would be good before we read just to go ahead and review what we've covered already. The very first thing we talked about was that we're going to go through John and look specifically at one of the missions of Jesus' life, purposes for which he came to the world. And Maybe I'll just ask you a question. Do you remember what that purpose was, that mission that we're going to be covering? this series show God as the Father that's right then we also talked about uh, after that we talked about that the name Father is not just a name it's more than a name it's who God is and it's actually the identity of God that we didn't see in the Old Testament we saw God compared to a father but we didn't see that God is a father in Jesus is the Son in terms of the Trinity. That's unique to the New Testament. That's unique to the teaching of Jesus. Then we talked about how we just want to notice the Father as distinct from the Son when the Bible highlights that. And then notice the unity of the Father and the Son when the Bible highlights that and just let it not try and force it into a category, just the Bible highlights one, we accept that and let it, and if it highlights the other side, we accept that and we let it. And in many ways, me thinking about just going through John and underlining the verses, Father, I need, about the Father, I need both. I need my view of the unity probably to be raised and my view of the uniqueness to be raised, both sides probably, for me personally, but... So then, this week, we're going to start in John chapter 2, and jump around a little bit here. We're going to contrast two times Jesus talks about God as Father in the, in the Gospel of John. Starting in John chapter 2, verse 13, John chapter 2, verse 13. The Passover of the, of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. And he told these who, who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken forty-six years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believe the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the first time that we see in the Gospel of John, Jesus himself talking about God as Father. 
we see it in the prologue, but that's John, God through John, introducing the topic. But this is Jesus' first mention of God as Father publicly, and he says that the temple is the Father's house. And we talked about the Father in the Old Testament, and we're going to kind of cover a little bit more of that to start. And here's the first thing that I want us to notice today. Notice the separation from God in the Old Testament. First thing to notice is notice the separation from God in the Old Testament. I could have said notice the holiness of God in the Old Testament. You know, holiness really was separation, you know, the idea of something set apart for a purpose. And God in the Old Testament is highlighted as holy over and over and over. The temple is a great example. And it ties in with the idea of father as well in the Old Testament. Jesus here calls the temple the father's house. And in the Old Testament, God through the prophets said things like, if I am a father, where is my honor? And things like that. So the idea that a father should be honored is really what Jesus is highlighting here as they're filling the temple with these trading items rather than a, it's really supposed to be a place for worship. Now I want to just read a few verses here highlighting how a Jewish person would feel at this time about the father though they might they wouldn't have called him father in that in the way that we call him father but god the god of the temple so here's some verses just to get the idea of this idea of separation moses this is from leviticus um, chapter 10 but i'll just read it to you moses said to aaron and eleazar and ithmar his sons do not let the hair of your heads hang loose and do not tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled, and do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Drink no wine or strong drink, you and your sons, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. There's a lot of verses that we could have looked at, but just to highlight the holiness of God, that when they went into the temple, it was a huge deal. They were very careful. They were thinking, this is God Almighty, and I'm walking into his presence. This is serious. I could die. It's God. Here's a, here's a illustration that's not perfect, and, but it's the best I can think of. To kind of summarize God in the Old Testament, and it kind of helps us think about the New Testament. But the Old Testament really highlighted this separation. There was the veil, you know, between the presence of God and the people. And the illustration I thought of is actually a high school shop class. Okay, and it had anybody took shop in high school? A couple. Okay, so if you haven't, what happens the first entire week of high school shop class? is the teacher scares the living daylights out of the kids. And they tell them horror stories. 
you know, I had kids, you know, who they weren't paying attention to the blade and they cut their piece of wood and they lifted their finger up and there was a hole in their finger um, where it had, they had run it into the blade. Uh, some shop teachers will even go so far as to show like graphic pictures of people who've gotten hurt to just highlight this is serious. And it's actually, this is kind of silly, but similar to the idea of some of those verses, like don't have loose clothing, don't let your hair hang down. Like this is, you could really get hurt and um, you need to be careful. You need to be aware of where you are and what you're doing. And so they just do that over and over and over and they spend a whole week talking about it and people drop the shop class. I mean, <laughs> and it's serious. You know, for me, um, I was scared when I, after I started using the the machines, I was. I remember being scared, like really scared, um, because of all the stories and you know doors flying across the room when if they're you know put into the table saw wrong and things like that. Yeah, it was scary, and I'm thankful we did it because there was one time in my shop class where a guy said, "Will you hold this uh, screw for me? I'm gonna try and put it in here." And I said, "No." I was like, "Nope," <laughs> and he actually ended up going to the nurse's office. So I was like, wow, that could have been me. <laughs> um, so that really is an interesting situation because you get into shop class and you begin to think, do you want us in here? Like, do you want us to use the equipment? Because it kind of feels like you don't <laughs> and you're making us terrified. And the reality is it's kind of the same in the Old Testament. It's like, here's all these things. It's scary, right? That what God is saying, this is really serious. You know, you could die. Here, here's what... You're going into the presence of God. This is serious. But yet the purpose for both is actually to have, have you go near, right? The, the shop teacher does want you to use the equipment, but he wants you to approach it with the right mindset about yourself and about the equipment. The equipment's powerful, and you shouldn't be overconfident about yourself. And in many ways, that's what God is saying too. Look, you can, I want to be near you. I've, got, I've built this tabernacle. I've instructed you to do it so I can be in your midst. But if I'm going to be in your midst, you have to approach me with fear and reverence and not thinking too much of yourself, overconfidence in yourself. And it's very similar to God. I mean, we want to approach God. God wants us to approach us, but he wants us to do it in a way that realizes how frail we are and how powerful and uh, wonderful God is. And so it's a, it's a strange paradox in one way. And we've talked about this before, but the paradox is the more fear that you have of God, the less there is to fear. Moses said to the people, this is Exodus 20, 20, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Do not fear, he says, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. Don't fear, he's come to make you fear. And that's the reality with God in the Old Testament, and it's a good summary, really, of the shop class. The person that the instructor is the least worried about is the most fearful person because they approach the machines with fear. They, you know, oh, where are my hands? Uh, is, is my hand going to cross the blade? Is, is my wood going up, riding up on top of the blade? Or is it, you know, am I using a push stick to push the wood through or am I using my hands? The person that is careful and fearful, the shop teacher is not worried about. It's the kid that comes in and says, oh, I don't need all these safety rules. I work with my dad in the shop. I can do it. That's the kid that the teacher is fearful of. And it's the same with, with God. 
when we're fearful of God, when we see how good and great he is, it causes us to walk in a certain way towards him. And when we fear God, uh, we don't need to fear God. (laughs) Does that make sense? There has to be fear for us to come into his presence without fear. And so that's just a summary of the Old Testament in terms of this idea of the separation of God. But notice here in John chapter 2, they really don't have that attitude. They really don't have a reverent attitude at all. They're coming into the temple, and the purpose is, I'm going to make some money here. Let's fill this, you know, this worship outer court of worship with stuff where we can buy and sell and make some money. And there's not this fear of God. And when Jesus calls them out on it, he says, this is my father's house. Just notice their response. What sign do you show us for doing these things? It's unbelief. Well, maybe. Maybe this is from God. Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. But they're skeptical. I need, a, I need something. I need you to prove to me that, that you're saying the right thing. It's a very unbelieving response, a skeptical response. Not examining their heart, their motives. You know, it doesn't matter really in, in, the, in the end. It doesn't even really matter what his authority is. The question is, was it real? Somebody who, you know, has no right even to say a criticism against you, it may be right. You just take what they say, not necessarily even their authority. Um, you, you just question, well, sh- am I dishonoring God here? It doesn't matter who's saying it. The question is really before God. And so that's the first thing I want you to notice. This is the first passage and just this idea of the holiness of God. And then notice in this particular passage how they really dismissed it. They, they don't have that attitude. And then jump to John chapter 4. We're going to read the next time that this comes up. And just as we read this, you might notice a contrast here of the response. So let's just start here. We're going to read quite a bit here, starting in verse 1. John 4, 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob has given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And he said to her, I who speak to you am he. Uh, Let's keep going just a little bit so we get her response. Then Jesus came back and marveled that he was... And then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's pause right there. We really need to understand this first point, the holiness of God in the Old Testament, the separation between God and the people. If we really want to understand and appreciate our ability to call God Father. It's a wonderful thing to be able to call God Father. But we almost have to start in a place where we wouldn't dare call God Father to really appreciate it. And that's really where the Jews started. We almost have to go and sit at the bottom of Mount Sinai with the people of Israel and feel with them the holiness of God and our uncleanness and our smallness. Like Exodus 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and stood stood afar off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. That's the God who Jesus wants us to call Father. The God they didn't even want to speak. That's unreal. And to approach God with boldness as a son, it's it's unreal. And we have to put ourselves back in that mindset to really understand it and to appreciate it. To understand how radical it is to call God Father. Just in general, one thing I want to highlight is just the significance of names in the Old Testament just in general. So names were really significant in the Old Testament, and some of it doesn't come through. There, a lot of times the names mean something, which you know that. I'll give you a couple examples. Adam, that comes from the word for ground, and God made Adam out of the ground. We know that. Some other ones, uh, Shem, you remember Shem, Noah's son? There's this long section in Genesis, remember, in, in the middle of God talking about Shem's descendants, 
there's this whole section where they want to make a great name for themselves and they build the Tower of Babel. Well, Shem just means name. And so this, there's, this, there's this connection here of, of the significance of a name and it's doubly emphasized because Shem is just a word for name. And so then there's the people of Babel who make a tower because they want to make their name great. And then a descendant of Shem, Abraham, is totally different. He's not seeking to make his name great. God comes to him and says, I will make your name great. So you've got these two totally different ways of making your name great, all in this section about Shem, whose name means name, just the word for name. And then Abraham's another good example. Um, God's going to make him a father of a multitude he puts the word multitude right at the end of his name. Just puts it right in his name, father of a multitude. And so names are really significant. And then doubly significant, God's name, right? Think about the commandments about honoring God's name. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. And so what the Israelites did, the Jewish people, we don't know exactly when it happened. I Somewhere between the 3rd century B.C. or 1st century A.D., maybe before, maybe right after Jesus, they stopped actually even saying the name of God. They were so scared of taking the Lord's name in vain, they didn't say Yahweh, God's proper name. They would put in other words like Adonai, or they would just say the name, and they wouldn't write it even. Sometimes they would put in three dots, just three periods. So this is the kind of attitude they have towards the name of God. Because one, names are significant, but then doubly significant is the name of God. And so this is the context into which Jesus is telling people to call God Father. Whether it was before or after, the kind of the culture was there the same. To call God Father. The God they wouldn't even dare to say his name. They were so scared of taking his name in vain. That's the God that Jesus is telling. This Samaritan woman is father. So this is the second point. Jesus taught that relating to God as Father was open to all groups. It was open to all groups. So Jesus, in this passage here, shatters some fundamental categories that the Jews and the Samaritans had about God, a relationship with God. She asks him where the right place to worship is located, and he does two radical things. First, he redefines what is important in worship, and he says it's not about location. He turns her concept of worship inside out, or I guess we should say outside in, because he's saying it's not about the outward, it's about the inward, worshiping in spirit and truth. But that's not the only one. That one gets a lot of attention, but he does something else too. He calls God Father. He renames God uh, in a different way than she would have been familiar with, which is just as radical. So Jesus answers her question about God and worship by saying the Samaritans don't know don't know God and an equally radical redefinition of God's identity. I'll read this quote here. In the Old Testament, God is called Father only 15 times. 
In the New Testament, he is referred to, fa- to, referred to as Father 245 times. What made Jesus unique, especially in the Jewish context, was simple. He called God his own Father, making himself equal with God. John 15, John 5, 18. A central emphasis of John's gospel is to be found here. Jesus, the Son, has a unique relationship with God, his Father. To talk about the fatherhood of God is thus to talk about the person and work of Jesus. Uh, That's a quote from John Armstrong. If the idea of calling God Father was radical to the Jews who had the whole Old Testament, it would be even more radical to the Samaritans who only believed in the first five books of the Bible, of the Old Testament. In those five books, there's only one reference to God as Father that I could find in Deuteronomy. And so we could we could summarize Jesus' work here as revealing himself, but also revealing the Father in ever-widening circles. Not just to the Jews, but to the Samaritans. Not just to Samaritans, but to a woman. Now, to make sense of this, let's just take notice that the Jews, what their view of God's fatherhood was. They had a view of God's fatherhood, but it did not include the Samaritans. And so I want you to just flip with me to John 8 here, just to notice this. John eight forty one. This shows that the Jews had a concept of God as Father, but also shows that it was significantly less and different than what Jesus is teaching. John eight forty one. The Jews, they, the Jews, said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. So they are showing quite a few things here about their view. They have a view of God as Father, but they believe that if, you, if you're born out of sexual immorality, you couldn't be God's Father. It was a racial uh, fatherhood. So who and what were they referring to? One commentator, this uh, commentator's name is Tasker, says this. We are not born of fornication, is their self-righteous claim in verse 41. We are not like the Samaritans, they imply, descended from an unholy union between the Jews and heathen. So he thinks they're they're specifically referring to Samaritans here, which later on they call Jesus a Samaritan. So the Jews would not have viewed the Samaritans as being able to call God Father, even in a group sense, because only the Jews could call God Father, and the Samaritans had married um, non-Jews. So that's the person that Jesus is saying the Father is seeking people like her to worship him, totally different from the common view of the day. Woman, believe me, he says, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you, plural, worship the Father. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. He's inviting the people that the Jews viewed as not being a part of God's fatherhood into a relationship with God as Father. Not only that, he's saying specifically the Father is seeking such people to worship. We will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 
The disciples are shocked that Jesus is talking to a woman. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. And he's talking to an adulterous Samaritan woman. God and his message, God the Father is seeking people like you to worship. That's amazing. That's really wonderful. God is opening his fatherhood, not just to the Jews, but to all people, all groups. Women could not enter the temple. They couldn't be... They couldn't go in beyond the veil. Only the men. Now, anyone, a woman, can enter in to the Holy of Holies, can do something even the highest of the high priests could not do. Call God Father. That's amazing. You know, this leads to our third point. It's not just groups. He's not just opening God's fatherhood to other groups. Jesus is teaching the privilege and nearness of God as Father for all individuals. Not just all groups, all individuals. He could have said that anyone in any group could come, but only the best of the individuals in the group. Does that make sense? Any Samaritan, you know, I'm opening God's fatherhood to the best of the Samaritans, he could say. But that's not what he said. He's opening it to anyone. Anyone can call God Father through faith. And that's really the difference that I wanted to contrast between the chapter 2, the Jews, and the Samaritan woman, is faith is the difference. She believes what he said, and they doubted. She really believed this. Someone came to her and said, God has a different name, (laughs) Father. The worship is going to be different than you thought. It's going to be internal, not external. It's going to be open to different groups than you thought, and it's going to include you and anyone else. God wants adulterers to call him Father. God wants Samaritans to call him Father. God wants women to call him Father. That's amazing. With that one word, Father, we soar above the most privileged Old Testament saints, loftiest thoughts of God. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Exodus 33.11 But he never dared call God his own father. Moses knew God not as a name father, but I am. That's what God gave him to reveal. But Jesus came to reveal God as father. This is a hypothetical, so I'm just a hypothetical. So I'm trying to highlight something. I'm not trying to be flippant or something. But imagine that you know every Christian will get to meet the Old Testament saints one day, and there's a new heaven and a new earth. We'll get to meet Moses and, and these other Old Testament saints. Imagine what that would be like—a conversation. You know, for me, I might say something like, tell me, what was it like to see the Red Sea part, you know? I would like, what was it like to see the pillar of fire and cloud? Like, tell me about it. Moses may very well say something back, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before I answer any of that, you've got to tell me, what was it like to call God Father? The Bible specifically says we have greater privileges than, than the greatest Old Testament saint. Think about that. Moses knew God. He saw some amazing things, but he couldn't call God Father. The veil was still there. God used Moses to help put the veil in place. 
God was saying, I want to be with you, but I'm holy. I'm separate. You've got, you, there's got to be distance. He had to start there so that when we come to the New Testament and we see the whole context, we can come in with the right attitude of, this is amazing, this is wonderful. How could it go from this? I can't even enter the veil. Only one human being gets to enter behind the veil once a year. And now I can enter every day, every moment that I desire. And when I enter, I get to say something to God no Old Testament saint ever got to say. Father, it's amazing. It's a unique, it's a privilege. And it highlight, highlights that the New Testament is teaching the nearness of God. The Old Testament was really showing us the holiness of God, which God is holy. We almost need that primer so we can, when we come to God and we can draw near, when we're able, we can come with the right attitude. Jesus calls God Holy Father in, in John. That's a great, it's almost an oxymoron. You know, it's like Holy Father. Separate Father? If your Father's a good Father, He's not separate and distant. He's near. One piece of a good Father is His nearness. A distant Father is not a good Father. And yet, God is a Holy Father. We can draw near to Him, and as we do, we have to realize the privilege. This is amazing, that I can call God my Father as an individual. No matter my past sins, no matter what race I'm from, no matter my parents' sins, no matter my status in the culture, gender, anything, money, doesn't matter. I can call God Father through faith in Jesus. That's amazing. It's a privilege, and it's wonderful. I'm going to close just with this quote from Spurgeon. Just highlighting the greatness and the goodness of being able to call God Father. I think of all the names and titles of God. One of the ones that emphasizes this change from separation to nearness the most is, is Father. And here's a quote from Spurgeon. It's somewhat long, but it's, it's good. And he's talking about prayer, coming to God. What is he going to call God when he comes? He says, If I come before a judge... I have no right to expect that he shall hear me at any particular season in anything I have to say. If I came merely to ask for some gift or benefit to myself, if the law were on my side, then I could demand an audience at his hands. But when I come as a lawbreaker and only come to ask for mercy for favors that I don't deserve, I have no right to expect to be heard. But a child... Even though he is erring, always expects his father will hear what he has to say. Lord, if I call you king, you will say, you are a rebellious subject, Get, be gone. If I call you judge, you will say, be still, or out of your own mouth will I condemn you. If I call you creator, you will say to me, it repents me that I made man upon the earth. That's a quote from Genesis 6. If I call you my preserver, you will say to me, I have preserved you, but you have rebelled against me. But if I call you father, all my sinfulness does not invalidate my claim. If you be my father, then you love me. If I be your child, then you will regard me. It's amazing. We can call God father. He loves us no matter 
our past, no matter our failings, no matter our faults, if we can trust Jesus and believe what he said. And that's the last thing that I want you just to think about. And we'll really, we need to do a whole message on this. And we, later on we will, but just begin to think about it. What we're saying takes faith, right? Jesus is redefining huge number of things about God and religion and what the Jews thought God was like in massive, massive ways. Like just the idea of the Trinity is huge. That we can call God Father. The way we approach Him is spiritual, not external. All these things. To believe that, you have to have faith in Jesus. You really are saying, Jesus, I'm trusting you. You're changing what all the things that I thought I knew about God, you're just shaking them up in, in major, major ways. But I'm trusting you, what you said. And it's amazing that, that the Samaritan woman here, she responded in faith. The Jews responded with skeptical, arm's length, and she responded just embracing it. And that's, that's major. Do we really believe what Jesus said about God being our Father? He coming to show us. He coming to make a way for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes, has faith in Him, should not perish, but have eternal life. The Father sent the Son to change everything, to teach us, but we have to believe, believe it. We receive all these things by faith. You can hear them. You can even in many ways intellectually know them, but we want to receive them by faith. And so that's really a whole other message, which is something to begin to think about. Why don't we just pray here together? Father, we are thankful, and not as thankful as we could be or we should be, but we are thankful in a measure that we can call you Father. Would you help us to be more, uh, give us more reality, more thankfulness? We do just praise you for this Samaritan woman and just thank you for her and her faith and the way you used her. And would you help us? We want to receive all that you said and we want to believe it. We're thankful that we can worship you wherever we are. Help us to worship in spirit and truth. We are just in all that we can draw near in a way that we couldn't uh, before Jesus. Would you help us just to have both? We don't want to lose one sense or the other. We want to be able to draw near, but continue to see you as holy. And the amazing thing it is that we can draw near. We need help in it day to day. Not to take either side for granted, the nearness or the holiness. So we just need you. And we do thank you, Father, for sending your Son. And Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to die for us. Uh, purchase our ability to draw near to God with your own blood. and We're thankful for that. Uh, we do pray for the Spirit to fill our hearts and with love for others and love for you. And knowledge of who you are, God. And we just need help. We just give all this to you. I pray that it would 
would be real to us. Amen.